Today's reading is from Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. And she went forth and said unto her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in straightway with haste unto the king and asked, saying, I will that thou give me by and by in a charge of the head of John the Baptist. And the king was exceeding, exceeding sorry, yet for his oath's sake, and for their sakes which sat with him, he would not reject her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought, and he went and beheaded him in the prison, and brought his head in a charger and gave it to the damsel, and the damsel gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard, it, heard of it, they came and took up his corpse and laid it in a tomb. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Well, now I'd like to introduce this morning's guest preacher. Today we welcome to the pulpit at Court Street United Methodist Church, the Reverend Shona Teruza. Now, Reverend Shona is a provisional deacon serving at Ann Arbor First United Methodist Church. When we say that Reverend Shona is a provisional deacon, we mean that she is just one step away from being an ordained deacon in the United Methodist Church. That means that Reverend Shona has already invested a lot of time and energy in answering this call to ordained ministry. She left a career in science in order to answer that call. Along the way, she served as a hospital chaplain, and now she serves at Ann Arbor First United Methodist Church as the Minister of Outreach, Social Justice, and Diversity. We are so very grateful for her ministry, and we are grateful today for her willingness to share the good news of God's love with the people of the Court Street United Methodist Church. Greetings, people of Court Street United Methodist Church. My name is Reverend Shona Taruza, and I'm visiting you this weekend from Ann Arbor First. And so in the scripture reading we heard this morning, for me, the way Jesus spoke to the Syrophoenician woman who was bowed down at his feet, begging, for him to heal her child who is sick was always one of the most shocking things I ever heard Jesus say. The context of this account just adds the complications for me. You know, Mark's gospel, which is one of the earliest written gospels, features many healings and deliverances. So well before we get to this exchange with the Syrophoenician woman, we already have this image of Jesus as this great healer and deliverer, or what might, some might call an exorcist. So in Mark, Jesus starts off by healing a man with an unclean spirit in the synagogue in Capernaum. He then visits Simon and Andrew's house and heals Simon's mother-in-law who was bedridden with a fever. He took her by the hand and lifted her up and she was healed. A man touching a sick woman in Jewish culture with all of its purity codes would have definitely raised some eyebrows. The word soon spread about Jesus and that evening at sundown, the whole city was gathered around the door as they brought all who were sick or possessed with demons and Jesus healed them. He then went throughout Galilee, casting out demons. And there's, then there's the, the man infected with leprosy there's the paralyzed man who was lowered down the roof. Then there's the man in the synagogue on the Sabbath, once again breaking the rules in front 
of the religious authorities. Then there's the man in the, the Gerasenes who had an unclean spirit. And then there's the woman who was hemorrhaging for 12 years. And even though she had violated his personal space and caused the power to leave him, he responded to her compassionately with kind words. Jairus's daughter has died by the time he then arrived, but once again, he broke another taboo by touching a dead body and healed her. Jesus then healed all the sick in Gennesaret when the people of the whole region brought their sick on mats to where Jesus was. In fact, to quote Mark, wherever he went, into villages or cities or farms, they laid their sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. When Jesus then visited the region of Tyre, once again he tried to escape notice. But a Syrophoenician woman found him and bowed down at his feet, begging him to cast a demon out of her daughter. Now Jesus, who has already broken many rules and taboos and has healed many hundreds of people that Jewish culture would describe as impure or unclean, now responded to this woman and said, let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take children's food and throw it to the dogs. Jesus, what on earth is going on? Saying that children should be fed first implies that there is a preferred group that Jesus felt was a priority for him. And this woman is clearly not one of them. She is an outsider to him. He also calls her a dog. Now Jesus, by calling her a dog, has judged her to be lowly, inferior, and her daughter therefore unworthy of the healing that she is begging for. Why? To Jesus, the woman was a foreigner, an outsider because of her ethnicity and her origins. This woman is from up north in the Roman province of Syria, but Jesus has gone to her territory and was probably already healing people there knowing Jesus. She is described as a Gentile, meaning Greek, but this probably also describes her religious background. So she is an outsider who is not Jewish. She is also a woman. And the request coming from a woman could be seen to be shameful. But remember Jesus' merciful response to all the other women that he has healed. Was it because she was possibly a single mother or a woman without a husband? You know, Jairus advocates for his daughter, but the Syrophoenician woman alone has to advocate for her daughter. Which identity caused Jesus the most offense? Or was it a combination of all of them? The Syrophoenician woman in her interaction with Jesus has what we now call an intersectional identity. Intersectionality is a framework developed by Professor Kimberly Crenshaw that explains how race, class, gender, and other individual characteristics intersect with one another and overlap. So Crenshaw, working in the context of the United States, 
highlighted how black women's experiences of oppression differed from white women's and also from black men's. To explain black female experiences, she used the metaphor of traffic intersections. And these are her words. Intersectionality is what occurs when a woman from a minority group tries to navigate the main crossing in the city. The main highway is racism road. One cross street can be colonialism and then patriarchy street. She has to deal with not only one form of oppression, but all the forms which link together to make a double, triple, multiple and many layered blanket of oppression. But way before Professor Crenshaw and the formal concept of intersectionality, formerly enslaved sojourner truth intuited her intersectional identity and spoke up at the 1851 Women's Convention in Ohio to assert her right to equality as a woman as well as a black American. So here, here are her words. That man over there says that women need to be helped into carriages and lifted over ditches and to have the best place everywhere. Nobody ever helps me into carriages or over mud puddles or gives me any best place. Ain't I a woman? Look at me. And so bell hooks riffing off Sojourner Truth's speech in her book entitled, Ain't I a Woman? Black Women and Feminism wrote that no other group in America has so had their identity socialized out of existence as have black women. So growing up, I was heavily influenced by the powerful voices of black female singers like Miss Aretha Franklin, who demanded R-E-S-P-E-C-T. And then I think also of Miss Billie Holiday, who risked her career performing Strange Fruit, speaking up about the horror of lynching. And the same with Miss Nina Simone and her song, Mississippi, let's say curse word. All of these were women with intersectional identities who spoke with an outsider's voice and used their art to share their pain. And then we have Audre Lorde. And so the title of this sermon comes from her book of essays and speeches titled Sister Outsider. In one of her essays, Lord writes, as a 49 year old black, lesbian, feminist, socialist, mother of two, including one boy, and a member of an interracial couple, I usually find myself part of some group defined as other, deviant, inferior, or just plain wrong. The Sir, I see the Syrophoenician woman intuiting her sister outsider status in Jesus' eyes. And even though Jesus is entire, her territory, she has stepped into his Jewish world. So you know, I, I always tend to think of Jesus as my love your neighbor Christian hero who loved and accepted all unconditionally, who welcomed those on the margins and who even told the religious leaders in the temple that the tax collectors and prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. 
Jesus has loads of harsh words for the self-righteous religious leaders in general. Jesus, who said, judge not lest ye be judged, seems to have judged the Syrophoenician woman. This woman is a stranger, one of the least of these. And if we're talking sheep and goats, Jesus' comment to her feels very goat-like to me. In order to understand Jesus' reaction, we have to acknowledge Jesus' humanity and who he was. Remember that he was a Jewish man living in a specific context. The Jews during his time were a minority group in the midst of a dominant Gentile culture. Jews restricted their interactions with non-Jews as much as possible in order to honor the Torah. They adhered to strict purity culture with Levitical codes, laws, and cultural protocols to protect them from defilement and as a way of maintaining Jewish distinctiveness and just to honor God. The Jesus that we encounter in this passage was Jesus firmly embedded in his culture. But still, he called her a dog. The only way I can understand this is when I see it as Jesus' implicit or unconscious bias showing up. So implicit or, implicit or unconscious bias is an unconscious association, belief, belief or attitude towards a social group different to one's own. Implicit bias, just like critical race theory, seems to be becoming one of those trigger words, you know, a word that is being weaponized, not by the people who themselves are a victim of this, but by people who don't want to face theirs and instead paint themselves as the victims. It is not a controversial concept. I look at how Jesus interacts with the Syrophoenician woman, and I don't see Jesus doubling down and arguing with the woman, sending her away, or trying to backtrack or deny the intention of his words, or being insensitive to the hurtful impact of his words, you know, what we nowadays call gaslighting. Nor do I see him recognizing his error and shrinking away in shame and regret or doing some self-flagellation. I think the Syrophoenician woman recognizes her outsider status and Jesus' implicit bias, and with grace and composure continues and addresses him respectfully and then very cleverly challenges while rolling with his metaphor and then Jesus, faced with his biases, changed his mind and showed compassion and healed her daughter. Instead of judging Jesus for his implicit biases and cringing or skipping over this passage to get to the Jesus we are more comfortable with, as someone with an intersectional identity, I see there as being a lot to learn from this Jesus. Facing our implicit or unconscious bias really shouldn't make us feel attacked 
or condemned. It is an opportunity for learning and growth. It is a gift that shows us our limitations in our interactions with others and what we need to do or to work on in order to gain a deeper understanding of others. It opens the door to see life from the perspective of another. Understanding our limitations and removing them will allow us to build relationships that result in healing. It will lead us into deeper compassion. It invites us into introspection if we give ourselves the grace to accept our limitations in a spirit of humility. It is what will help us to heal the racial divide in this country. Jesus in his flawed humanity, for me demonstrated a transformative moment. This messy Jesus, rather than the one who died for my sins on the cross, is the one who gives me hope. May the same be true for you too. Amen.